What's up, my dear colleagues? Welcome to another episode of Nailing the MCCQE. Today's episode, we're going to be making the brand new format of the podcast. Yes, guys, you guessed well, we're going to be making Master the Board's book lectures. All right, and... To keep on with our last episodes that were about emergency medicine, we're going to go with emergency medicine of this same book. But not anymore from the Toronto Notes, because in their last episode, we already, we already explained the difference between both books and which one could work better for us in most of the subjects of um, that we have to study for the MCCQE. So let's get into it. Emergency medicine of Master the Boards starts telling us about toxicology, poisoning, and overdose. And I love the way they started with an with a question. And here it is, guys. I'll be using the format of reading at first the question and last um, all the tests related to the case of, of, of the clinical case we have. So what is the most appropriate next step in the management of this patient? A 32-year-old woman with a history of depression comes to the emergency department 30 minutes after taking a bottle of pills in an attempt of to commit suicide, blood pressure is 118/17, sorry, 70 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 90 per minute, and respirations are normal at 14 per minute. She refuses to tell you what she took. What is the, as I say, what is the most appropriate next step in the management of this patient? Letter A. Induce emesis with ipecac. Option B. Gastric lavage. C. Psychiatric consultation. D. Serum chemistry. E. Urine toxicology screen. F. Cathartics or laxative. G. Whole bowel irrigation. H. Naloxone. And I. Fulmazenil. The answer, you guys ready? Is the letter B for gastric lavage. And the explanation is the following. When ingestion is extremely recent, it is possible to try to to remove the substance from the body prior to its absorption. Gastric emptying has very limited value because there is not much time between the ingestion and the passage of the pills beyond the pyloric sphincter from where they cannot be removed. Pills on an empty stomach can leave in as little as 30 
to 60 minutes. Gastric lavage can be attempted, attempted up to two hours after ingestion, but it will remove only 50% of pills at one hour and 15% at two hours. After two hours, it's, it, it is useless to do the gastric lavage. Although serum chemistry and urine toxicology screen should be done, they are not helpful this soon after ingestion. Ipecac and the induction of vomiting is wrong when the patient is already in the emergency department. Inducing vomiting needs 15 to 20 minutes to work out and only delays the administration of antidotes such as N acetylcysteine. Weird word to pronounce. I'll just ask the help of Google Translate. N acetylcysteine. All right, which can be given orally. All right. Um, that was the explanation why you should use gastric lavage. But let's talk about gastric emptying. The closest friend to, to it. All right. Um, good thing that <laughs> um, I got this question and it's about to be solved. Gastrointestinal emptying and gastric lavage are the same. Yes, we can suppose they are the same because of the explanation I just gave about the mm, usefulness of gastric emptying. And now, just after the um, title of gastrointestinal emptying comes the definition of it, and it says gastric lavage may occasionally be useful in the first hour of ingestion, but it is dangerous in the next occasions if you have an altered mental status because, of course, this may cause an aspiration. Caustic ingestion can cause um, burning of the esophagus and or pharynx. Gastric lavage is rarely done. So like we just said, it removes 50% of pills at one hour and 15% of pills at two hours. And this tip that is coming up here, I heard this in a lot of videos um, about questions of test and where it says, IPCAC is always a wrong answer in the emergency department. So now let's talk about IPCAC. Ipecac has been used as a home remedy in those with accidental overdose or pill ingestion prior to coming to the hospital with bold letters it says prior to coming to the hospital and now it says there is no benefit in using Ipecac in the hospital Ipecac how much time needs to work you guys should know it because I just said it, said it. It's 15 to 20 minutes to work. 
and delays the administration of antidotes. Well said if you said it. All right. Cathartics. Cathartic agents such as sorbitol are always a wrong answer. Good to know that. These tips, these are pro tips for your test, guys. If you remember this, <laughs> you're gonna nail the test. Speeding up gastrointestinal transit time does not eliminate the ingestion without absorption. To think about that, ladies and gentlemen. And that's the function of cathartics. They speed up gastrointestinal transit time. But it's just a rushing of the of uh, of the pooping. You're not going to see a huge difference in it. All right. Forced diuresis. Am I saying it right? Let's double check. Diuresis. Diuresis. Oh, my goodness. Forced diuresis. Giving fluids and uh, diuretics. 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 To accelerate urinary, urinary excretion is always a wrong answer. More patients are harmed with pulmonary edema with this method than our help. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What a surprise. So, stop giving furosemide um, as crazy, guys. Whole bowel irrigation. Guess, guys, guess what, guys? Always, almost, almost always wrong. But let's read it. Okay. Um, whole bowel irrigation. Um, placing a gastric tube and flushing it out the GI tract with polyethylene glyco electrolyte solution. Polyethylene. Polyethylene glyco electrolyte solution. Golitelli or golitelli is almost always wrong. Indication for this method are very narrow and limited to the to massive aram ingestion, lithium, and swallowing drug filled packets. Sempre de gracia. Smuggling. 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 And smuggling is this process in which someone tries to make an illegal illegal movement of goods into or out of a country and sometimes they smuggle things like cocaine or well yeah. Swallowing drug filled packets. So, whole bowel irrigation. What a thing, right? 
putting such a huge, huge quantity of liquid in the the bowel. Where does this tube come from? Is this put uh, rectally or orally? All right, guys, no, don't worry too much about that. They're not going to uh, ask you that. So, uh, important tip here, or side note, gastric emptying of any kind is always wrong with... Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, you just say that gastric empty was the right answer for the question you made at first. Yeah, that's correct. But guys, remember, I mentioned that um, we must be careful with altered mental status and caustic ingestion. And this is what this I know reminds us about uh, caustics, like acids and alkali. So if this someone someone is drinking... Okay, I want a good example of caustic. Um, goes to my mind detergent. Um, you know what? Let's search into the Toronto notes to see a good samples of our beloved friends caustic. Mm-hmm. After swimming in the ocean of the Toronto notes, I figured out that I couldn't find it because, like we just say, guys, it's tons of tons of words. Between the 35,000 words, I couldn't find it. So I did find it on the website of the United States National Library of Medicine. And samples of caustic are alcoholics like oven cleaners, liquid agents, liquid drain cleaners, disc batteries, um, acids like toilet bowel cleaners, swimming pool cleaners, rust removers, bleaches and other caustics like bleach. Um, well, yeah, guys. If this patient has been intoxicated with some detergents, don't use gastric lavash because you can just... Screw the esophagus. Altered mental status, don't do the gastric lavage because you can... Mm, all this liquid you're putting inside the stomach or trying to take out, you broke and definitely screw the, his lungs. Trachea, etc. And in acetaminophen overdose, which is very common, so it's a good... Very, very, very common way of ruling out, ruling out gastric emptying of your options. All right, tip. When the answer is not clear and the cause of overdose is asked, say, acetaminophen or aspirin. They are by far the most common cause of death by overdose. Mm-hmm. Even if you have to... And to um, swallow a hollow, a whole uh, container of acetaminophen or aspirin. 
people can die of them. Another tip, guys, what to do is often unclear. Yeah, we know that it's often almost always unclear for us while reading these questions. What is useless or dangerous? Like, let's say IPCAC, force diuresis. Cathartics is very clear. Okay, so a woman comes into the emergency department one hour after. Guys, this is another case in case you're asking. And well, yeah, I'm gonna ask you first the question and then I'm gonna go with the text of the case. What is the most appropriate step in the management of this patient? A woman comes to the emergency department one hour after taking a bottle of pills. Blood pressure is 118 slash 70 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 90 millimeters of mercury. Uh, sorry, pulse is 90 per minute and respirations are 14 per minute. She's confused, disoriented, and lethargic. So it's pretty much the same as the case we were managing before. And here are the options, guys. Option A, flumazenil. Option B, gastric lavage. Option C, psychiatric consultation. D, naloxone and dextrose. E, intubation. Are you guys ready? The answer is the letter D for naloxone and dextrose. Dextrose. And why? Why? Why is this happening to me? The best initial management of altered mental status of unclear etiology is an opiate antagonist and glucose. Glucose always have to be along with the naloxone. Okay, opiate ingestion and diabetes are extremely common. That's where you give the dextrose. Naloxone and glucose work instantaneously and have no adverse effects. Why not to give them? A bit of sugar never will kill someone. A diabetic said, <clears throat> if they do not work perform intubation and to protect the airway possibly followed by gastric lavage intubation should not be done first naloxone is faster and emergency intubation is associated with aspiration trauma to teeth and the possibility of intubating the suffocus. Flumazenil reverses benzodiazepines but can cause seizures from instant withdrawal. So, tons of things to gather here, right? Because it seems to be the same patient. They're not um, talking exactly about the time of the uh, of the ingestion of the pills, 
but they command that the, she's already presenting symptoms or signs that are reflected in a low level of consciousness and that's why it's very opportune to give it an allotone along with the death rose. Alright. Tip. Psychiatric consultation is indicated when the overdose is from a suicide attempt. Attempt. But it's a wrong answer on USMLE step 2 CK when specific antidotes and diagnostics diagnostic tests are needed. You do not need a consultant to tell you to give Nalaton and Dextrose. You should know it because you are the MD. Opiate overdose is fatal. Fatal. Give Nalaton immediately. Benzodiazepine overdose. By itself, it's not fa fatal. And acute withdrawal causes seizures. Do not give lumazenil. Whoa. Sounds weird when flumazenil is the antidote. And checking out the Toronto notes says that the treatment of benzodiazepines is flumazenil. Here we, you can also read consider the contamination activated carquol flumazenil and supportive care for benzodiazepine. <sighs> what a mystery. But no worries, guys. Maybe we will get into more details about it. Mm. Alright, I cannot promise you that. But if you have option to not to give flumacinil, I'll consider that option. Well, <laughs> let's talk about charcoal. 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 Come on, charcoal. Charcoal is benign and should be given to anyone with a pill overdose. Charcoal may not be effective for every overdose, but it's not dangerous in anyone. Charcoal can also remove toxic substances even after they have been absorbed. Blood levels of toxins drop faster in those giving repeated dose of charcoal. Charcoal is superior to lavash and ipecac. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Such an interesting thing. Tip. When you don't know what to do in toxicology, give charcoal. Your best friend ever in the toxicology world. Why is this guy so good? So they stop here. But for me, such an interesting guy. Hmm. So, guys, I found it in Toronto Notes and... Charcoal is great because it turns out that it removes 
drug that has already been absorbed by drawing it back into the GI tract, which is awesome. And here it says that it can be used for carbamazepine, phenobarbital, quinine, theophylline for toxins which undergo enteropathic recirculation. What a crazy guy. It's charcoal. Give charcoal to anyone, guys. Anyway, we're made of uh, tons of charcoal. Well, of carbon. Carbon. Um, so, activated charcoal. Some things are commented here. However, there is some risk of being aspirated. There are only contraindications of it, like unprotected airway, late presentation after ingestion, but how late can it be? Hours? Small bowel obstruction? Hmm. This will be more of a logical stuff that you will choose not to use it. Um, see these guys, um, we just by seeing it, you will believe that tastes terrible. But here it says that it's odorless, tasteless, and prepared slurry with H2O water. All right, and for those who were still asking themselves, how is the bowel? Whole bowel irrigation given is given by mouth and until clear ethylene per rectum. Um, well, yeah, I don't want to confuse you guys, but here it says that it's very rarely used. So, our winners on the ranking will be so far the charcoal first. first. And Nelson and that's Rose together. Uh, they make a good team you can give to anyone. And at least um, you can put in your... And then you can put in your... In your list the... The gastric lavage or gastrointestinal emptying. Uh, so those guys, we use them a lot. We can use them, yeah. But for the very, very, very rare cases, the least on their list, um, IPCAC, cathartics, forced set diuresis, and whole bowel irrigation, those guys are bad stuff. We don't want them. All right, let's keep moving. Acetaminophen, our friend, Tylenol. Here in Canada, we know it that like that. Tylenol. Acetaminophen. Acetaminophen. This naughty guy. I can drink. I can take it frequently, and I'm risk of intoxication. Fortunately, I never get to the to the toxicol dose. So. Um. Here's what it says. 
Legal drugs kill more people in the United States than illegal drugs because because they are less expensive, less expensive and more available. Toxicity of acetaminophen may occur with ingestions greater than eight to ten grams. I have taken one point five grams per day, and that's tons, man. The limit it's three grams if I'm not wrong. The limit of um. The maximum dose you can give, but you're already a gram is like big stuff. Fatality may occur with ingestions about 12 to 15 grams. Easily any bottle of acetaminophen contains here that that amount. And important fact here: alcoholism decreases the amount of acetaminophen needed to cause toxicity. So, for most common acetaminophen overdose questions, if a clearly toxic amount of acetaminophen has been ingested more than 8 to 10 grams, the answer is, you guys know it, and acetylcysteine. If the overdose was more than 24 hours ago, there is no therapy. Unfortunately, there is no therapy. Maybe the patient's still alive, or maybe he's got a metabolic acidosis. Don't you think? No, not really. Necessary happens more with ASA aspirin. If the amount of ingestion is unclear, ask for a drug level. Charcoal do not does not make and acetylcysteine ineffective. Charcoal is not contraindicated either with an acetylcysteine. You can still use it and you guys will be okay. Isn't it wonderful that here's where it ends whereas the SOB notes can be talking about acetaminophen for hours. Well, it's not that long. It's kind of short too. But there are some uh, clinical uh, considerations here. Like sometimes acetaminophen can be clinically silent. There it can show up an evidence of liver or renal damage in a delayed form. More than 24 hours after the intoxication. Toxic dose, whether you know it, they say 7.5, kind of more conservative. You can also ask for uh, liver enzymes. And yeah, we're good to go now. Let's talk about. Aspirin, a guy that is also very famous among the addicts of pills, painkillers. The most common question is, what is the most likely diagnosis for tinnitus and hyperventilation? Hmm. Tinnitus. 
Tinnitus. What the fuck? Tinnitus. Tinnitus. I believe I heard tinnitus. Tinnitus. And hyperventilation. Respiratory alkalosis progressing to metabolic acidosis. Renal toxicity and altered mental status. An increased anion gap. Funny thing here. All right, so aspirin causes diffuse multisystem toxicity. It causes ARDS. Anyone knows what does it mean? Mm -hmm. Does anyone know what it means? Let's check. Let's check. Check him. Let me check him. AR. Acute respiratory distress syndrome. Okay, so it interferes with prothrombin production and raises the prothrombin time. Whoa. The metabolic acidosis is from lactate. Mm -hmm. That's the acid that is everywhere around there, lactate. I believe lactate is the same um, acid that produces rigor mortis, but... Alright guys, I invite you to fact check what I just said. Aspirin interferes with oxidative phosphorylation and results in anaerobic glucose metabolism. What the hell? Oh man. <laughs> I will have to listen to this episode several times to memorize that. Which produces lactate. Alright. Treatment is alkalinizing the urine, which increases the rate of aspirin excretion. And how the hell do you alkalinize the urine? I never do it like in a daily basis. So, once again, tinnitus, respiratory alkalosis, and metabolic acidosis are the key to diagnose aspirin overdose wise words thank you master the boards writers okay anion gap increased blah, blah, blah. and this guy can also fuck your your kidney as the acetaminophen does. Well, well, a tip. Know the blood gas in aspirin overdose. Yeah, we already know we have to know it to figure out how's the pH and how's the gap anion. All right, guys, question now. Which of the following is most likely to be found in aspirin overdose? So remember, normal values of pH are 
PCO2 is 40. HCO3 is 24. All right. So which of the following is most likely to be found in aspirin overdose? Option A, pH of 7.55, PCO2 of 50, HCO3 of 24. Option B, pH of 7.25, PCO2 of 62, HCO3 of 38, 38. Option C, pH of 7.46, PCO2 of 22, HCO3 of 16. Option D, pH 35, PCO of 32, and HCO3 of 20. In case I, I said it wrong, it, it's always been PCO2 and HCO3. So I hope you guys have the answer of this. I'm trying to get it. So, are you guys ready? I'm trying to remember. So, there is a uh, respiratory alkalosis. Mm, that means that PCO2 has to be low. And metabolic acidosis, so HCO3, high. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. But it's something that is progressing, right? They say that it's going to move from metabolic, from, oh Jesus, from from respiratory colitis to metabolic acidosis. Oh Jesus. I will go with the option. All right, I believe I have my answer. I will say letter D. Um, I'm afraid I could be wrong, but well, this is already uh, seems to be a respiratory and metabolic acidosis, and it was um. Respiratory, oh damn, let's see the answer. Oh no, I was wrong. So, let's read. The blood gas shows a respiratory alkalosis with a low PCO2 and metabolic acidosis with decreased bicarbonate. So the option C is the one that says pH of 46. 7.46 and so the PCO2 is 22 so it's alkalosis because the value is is below 
Well, yeah, basically. And yeah, it's 22, so it's below the, the normal that is 40. And the HCO3 is uh, 16 in this letter C option. That contributes to the um, diagnosis of uh, metabolic acidosis. It's kind of confusing for me that the pH is different of what I was expecting, but whatever. He continues the explanation. Because the pH is alkalotic, we know that respiratory alkalosis is not simply compensation for a metabolic acidosis. Mm -hmm. If it were a respiratory compensation, the pH would be below 7.4 as in choice T, the one that I wanted. Choice D is primary primary metabolic acidosis where respiratory alkalosis as compensation as will occur in sepsis, DKA or uremia. Oh Jesus Christ. Choice B shows an increased PCO2 and an elevated bicarbonate. This represents a primary respiratory acidosis with bicarbonate retention at the kidney as compensation. This is characteristic of COPD. Mm -hmm. Good thing we're learning from other episodes. So guys, to summarize that question, the pH you guys should be looking for in a patient with respiratory alkalosis and metabolic acidosis should be a pH of 3.35. This case is less than 7.4. And the PCO2 lower than PCO240 and HCO3 less than 24 so everything is below so i will make a mnemonic here aspirin fucks everything and puts all the values below puts your ph below at first and this motherfucker asa aspirin puts down your hco mm -hmm. What it does what it does first? Respiratory colosis, progression to metabolic acid. So first it puts down your CO2 and then puts down your HCO3. Alright guys. Let's go let's move into the next question. Uh-huh. A patient with depression presents with altered mental status from ingesting multiple toxic substances. You know from certain Dan that he took some lorazepam only today for the first time. There is no response to Nalazone or the throes, death throes. The patient is given flumacinil and immediately sizes. Oh, this sounds familiar for me. Don't 
doesn't sound familiar for you. What is the most likely cause of seizure? Option A, cocaine withdrawal. Option B, opiate withdrawal. Option C, tricyclic antidepressants. Option D, SSRIS. Or option E, aspirin. Guys, I'll be honest. I asked a little help to solve this question and fortunately I found the answer is the letter C for tricyclic antidepressants. So why? We always want to know why tricyclic antidepressants. Tricyclic antidepressants are the answer. So although flumazenil can cause seizures from reversing chronic Benzodiazepines dependence, this case is quite specifically, states that the benzodiazepine ingestion was today only. So that, that's why you don't have a trouble with um, withdrawal of benzodiazepine. Okay, benzodiazepines, however, can prevent seizures, seizures from tricyclic toxicity. When you, rever you reverse the benzodiazepines, you remove the suppression of the tricyclic type toxicity. What? Say what? You remove the suppression of the tricyclic toxicity. Hold on, cowboy. Opiate withdrawal does not cause seizures. Cocaine toxicity causes seizures, not withdrawal. Co-ingestion of tricyclics and benzodiazepines is very common. And and I read in the Toronto notes that flumazenil antidote antidote contraindicated in combined TCA and benzodiazepine overdose. Don't use flumazenil in this case, please. So basically what I understood from the from Master the Boards is that when you take out the the benzodiazepine by using flumazenil, you just let the tricyclic um, to act, being toxic. Well, and um, what is the best initial test for the patient previously described? Do you want to do a urine toxicology? Do you want to do an electroencephalogram? EKG, head CT, potassium level. What do you guys think? Answer is the letter C for EKG. And why? Why? Tricyclic antidepressant toxicity is rap rapidly detectable on EKG. EKG. So the A EK. So the EKG will show widening of the QRS complex. And here they show 
a graphic of a torsade point. Oh, now I'm learning French. Now that I'm closer to Quebec. Torsade point. So, twisted point. Tricycling antidepressant toxicity uh, prolongs the QT until toxic develops, causing amplitude uh, to undulate as if it were twisting around the point, around a point. I remember widening QR, QRS complex is also a, a risk factor to develop the wolf parkinson White syndrome. Well, at least I remember something from cardiology. Tricyclic antidepressants. Now let's get into them because we have been talking and talking, questioning and answering things about tricyclic antidepressants, but we have never told the true story of them. So, tricyclic antidepressant, TCA, toxicity, can cause seizures and arrhythmia leading to death. That's where our patient just had his scissors. And while QRS will tell you who is about to have an arrhythmia. Who is about to have an arrhythmia? Who wants it? The TCIS and intoxicated patient. TCIS cause signs of anticholinergic effects such as dry mouth, constipation, and urinary retention. Basically, the parasympathetic system is not working. And there is no saliva, no pooping, and no peeing. None of these effects causes death. All of us know. Unless you never poop. Never pooping. It's a bad thing. Treatment of TCA overdose is with sodium bicarbonate. Why? Because bicarbonate will protect heart against arrhythmia. Carbonate is a, a good ally. Bicarbonate does not increase urinary excretion of TCAs as it does for aspirin. So we we give bicarbonate an aspirin. Guess what? That's the way you alkalinize your urine and they never told us. I'm checking that out um my good friend Toronto Notes. I have it right beside it, beside the computer. All right, guys. Mm -hmm. Now let's go with our friends, Caustics. 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 So Caustics ingestion, ingestion of Acids and alkalis. A template drain cleaner. And we say to a lot of them before. Causes mechanical damage to the orifices, esophagus, and stomach, including perforation. 
So do not give alkali to res to reverse acids. So don't give bicarbonate just to reverse acids. Let's learn how to solve this thing. Or give acids to reverse alkali. This will cause the release of heat from an exothermic reaction and will only make it worse. Flush out the caustics. But how? Use water in high volumes. Endoscopy is performed to assess the degree of damage. Whoa, that's sad, man. Side note here. Steroids do not prevent injury from caustics. Okay, now let's talk about carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm, the little friends, uh, the little friend of fires. Carbon monoxide poisoning is the most common cause of death in fires. Talking about that, uh, I just saw a, a curious case of, of of a crime scene. It was on um, the show that is called Forensic Files, in which there was a woman found in into a half-born house. And turns out that it seemed to be like she died inside the fire. But the autopsy revealed that she didn't have any carbon monoxide on her lungs. So, but she had some traumas and injuries that determined the cause of death was right before the fire and the burnings were not the cause of that were some traumas isn't that interesting well at least it is for me 60% of deaths on the first day after a fire are from CO poisoning also look for a history of left ventricle hold on uh, look for a history of gas heaters or wood burning stoves hmm. automobile exhaust particularly in an enclosed environment so this can be a patient that comes from a house with, with gas heaters or the place where they cook was made of uh, wood that is get burned. Or this patient probably was inside of a car and putting into his mm, lungs tons of the smoke that comes out from the from the exhaust okay so left side um, side note here the left ventricle cannot distinguish between anemia carbohemoglobin and acetonosis of the coronary arteries 
So this guy is just pumping and pumping. He distributes the blood um, from the left ventricle all around the body. No matter if the blood is full of, or well, full enough um, without hemoglobin, and or um, this blood is loaded with with carbon, carboxyhemoglobin, or probably the coronary arteries are clogged. But the this guy, the left ventricle is just pumping blood. So CO binds oxygen to hemoglobin so tightly that carboxyhemoglobin will not release oxygen to tissues. That's evil. Carboxyhemoglobin acts functionally like anemia. Carboxyhemoglobin. 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 Mm -hmm. Hemoglobin. So hemoglobin, please. There is no functional difference between the absence of blood and carboxyhemoglobin. Hemoglobin. 60% of carboxyhemoglobin acts like the loss of 60% of blood. That's madness, man. So you're going to have blood pressure, good, but no oxygenation at all. CO poisoning, poisoning presents with dyspnea. Dyspnea. Light, lightheadedness. Lightheadedness. Confusion. Caesars and ultimately death from a myocardial infarction. Yeah, it's like having your your heart, your heart without oxygen. What happens? An infarction. So, which of the following blood gas results will you find carbon monoxide poisoning? Option A, at first I don't even have a clue about how these values are going to go, but well, let's give it a shot. Option A, 7.5 of pH, the PCO is 50, HCO3 is 24, pH 7.25. The PCO2 of 62, and for the last on this option B, the CHCO3 is 38. For the option C, pH of 7.46, PCO2 22, bicarbonate 16. Option D, pH 7.35. PCO2 26 and bicarbonate 18. I pass, guys. I'm not gonna lie. Answer D carbon monoxide poisoning prevents oxygen to release to tissues, so lactic acidosis develops. 
makes sense, makes tons of sense. So, um, the only options with acidosis was was the B and D. But what I can see here is that on in option B, the HCO three is thirty eight which is higher than normal that I believe is 24 and if they say lactic acidosis um, so that lactic acid is in the blood and means that we're talking about um, metabolic acidosis so HCO3 is fucked up and we're gonna find it below normal level um, PCO2 I'm not sure man but here is low so surprise, surprise, these values are very similar to the one we found in aspirin intoxication with a alkaloidic, hold on, with a metabolic acidosis and an respiratory alkalosis. Carbon monoxide poisoning gives a normal PO2 because oxygen does not detach from hemoglobin. Hemoglobin. So, what kind of diagnosis or test or treatment do you do? Since routine oximetry will be falsely normal, falsely fails. Failed, false, falsely normal. The most accurate test is the level of carboxyhemoglobin. You should expect to find a low bicarbonate and low pH. Mm -hmm. Metabolic acidosis when carbon monoxide levels are very high. Very high. PCO2, very high. Mm -hmm. Curious because we just saw that everything was low. Best initial therapy is to remove the patient from exposure and give one hundred give one hundred percent oxygen. Easy to do at hospital, which detaches carbon monoxide from hemoglobin and shortens the half life of carboxyhemoglobin. Severe disease is treated with hyperbaric oxygen. Hyperbaric oxygen shortens the half-life of carboxyhemoglobin even more than 100% oxygen. Severe symptoms are defined as CNS symptoms, central nervous system symptoms, cardiac system symptoms, metabolic acidosis. So whenever any of these are in question, the answer is hyperbaric oxygen. So guys, I believe we're good for today. We have gone kind of far. We already nailed it. Like, how many? Seeds, toxics, and eight ways of disintoxication. I just have to say you congratulations for sticking around this far and you already nailed it very well, guys. 
I hope you keep listening for the next episode. We're going to continue with the next part of toxicology. We're going to be uh, keep making these lectures of the master of the boards and whatever we don't find here, we're going to research it into the Toronto notes. Thank you, guys. And keep nailing that test. Bye.